0: Welcome to the Kitchen Sink meeting of Overeaters Anonymous. Starting in July 2021, the meeting will be hybrid. You will still be able to attend the meeting via Zoom. Please go to the Los Angeles Intergroup's webpage at oalaig.org for login information. And now, our speaker. Exercise in the- um, okay,
1: thank you, Rika, for asking me to speak this morning. This is absolutely my first hybrid meeting, so um, I am in the Wild West here, as I think is the first time there's been a remote host of this meeting, so we're we're making our way to the the forest together. Um, I've been in OA for almost 10 years. It'll be 10 years this September, um, and I will try to deal with a little bit of what it was like, what happened, and what it's like now. Um I remember leaving this meeting a number of years ago, and at one point I talked about how um, I don't believe that I was born with this disease. I either I was born, or either very early on in my life came into it inordinate amount of fear and shame and anxiety, and um, this disease was the first, you know, the food, the exercise, the control. That was, like, the earliest thing that I had access to in order to manage those things. Um, I still believe that that is absolutely true for me. I have also, since the time I shared that, gotten into an entirely different program that deals with all of those aspects of, you know, having that sort of level of shame and fear and guilt and everything very early on um, as a result of my family of origin and have gotten an enormous amount of healing there that was only made possible because of the work I've done in these rooms. Um, I come from uh, a family that my, my parents got divorced when I was very young, when I was like nine, um my mom's side is full of italians my dad's side is full of addicts and sort of like everything in the middle is where this disease kind of manifested um there was a lot of it was loud there was a lot of talking loudly there was a lot of yelling um my parents did not get along well they obviously they got divorced eventually so that um did not create a very peaceful environment um my younger brother uh was very rageful. And when he was young, that, you know, that really manifested in the form of a lot of anger, violence, threats, um, made me feel very unsafe. And um, as he got older, that manifested into an entire, like a full blown um, drug addiction that killed him by the time he was 27. So um, of course that had made it had a, like an incredible effect on my whole life. But the thing that um, really sticks with me more than anything is that, for any reason that I cannot explain there before the grace of God go, I, I was fortunate enough to get a disease that that was slow enough that I was able to find recovery before it killed me. And he didn't get that. I don't know why that is, but I'm um, profoundly grateful for it. It's not lost on me ever. Um, this disease will kill you. I know people that have lost their lives from it. Um, I'm really grateful to that that's not my story because it very easily could have been. Um, growing up, I was in—I was a healthy, normal-weight child. I was athletic. Um, I was a competitive figure skater, which was an interesting uh, environment to be in—a uh, sport where uh, your physical presentation is also a major part of um, the aesthetic of the sport, and it's also a sport where you are more generally more successful if you are a smaller body size. Um, at the time, I also. I was in like a very sort of normal athletic body size and I wanted to be smaller always. Um, for some reason I had the like understanding that if I tried to starve myself or restrict my food too severely, it was going to impact my ability to do my sport. And so. It kind of like saved me from going into a full blown eating disorder when I was younger, I think. That's how, that's how I interpret it. Um, but sort of as I got older, um, and got into college, really this, the eating disorder took off for me. Um, I have both sides of this disease. Uh, when I'm in the restricting phase, I limit my food. Um, generally it hasn't been like calorically, uh, motivated. It's been more like I will just take out entire food groups of foods, um, at a time. So, you know, I went vegetarian many, many, many years ago. I still am. But then, you know, that becomes vegan, which becomes whatever, which becomes, you know, and, and eventually I'm only eating, like, green leafy vegetables and tofu. Um, and at the same time, I compulsively exercise. When I'm in that side of the disease, those two things go hand in hand. Um and then I whittle my body down to some sort of weight that I am mostly satisfied with, but is absolutely unmaintainable long term. And eventually my body gives out. I'll be exhausted and the pendulum will swim back in the other direction and I will eat anything and everything that's in front of me, but mostly, um, not healthy options. And I will not exercise at all and I will gain all the weight back plus more. And so I hate myself enough to start the cycle again. That is, I did, you know, a number of rounds of that. Um, and my last sort of like real go at it was I moved out to Los Angeles when I was 24 or something like about 24 years old. And I had never done a commercial weight loss program in my life because I had so much personal shame around this issue. And like even letting anyone in my life know that I was unhappy in my body or that I even thought about my body felt too vulnerable. Um And so it was like very much a secret that I kept to myself. So um when I moved out here, I decided I was going to like, finally do a commercial weight loss program, and really, like, handle the problem, and um I did one where you count points, and uh, was very good at it, I took to it very well, it really, like, lapsed into the OCD part of my brain of counting and, like, organizing, and I lost 50 pounds over the course of 18 months or something, it wasn't anything extreme, um, I got to a place where I was like, okay, I can maintain this number, and, you know, there's all sorts of magic solutions, like, equations online of, like, if you maintain the weight for this long, you'll maintain it forever. And so I kind of, like, was very fixated on that. And my life got very small. Um, I had to prepare all of my own food in my home. I couldn't, you know, add any butters or oils. Everything was very bland. Um I was exhausted all the time because I was compulsively exercising two or three times a day. Um, I didn't go out and socialize with my friends. I had roommates um, at the time, and they would all, like, have parties or, you know, be social in the world. And I was referred to as the phantom roommate because everyone always heard about me, but no one ever saw me because I would be sleeping in my room or hibernating or um, whatever I needed to do to maintain this disease because that's how big it got. Um, I am not someone who has the story of, like, shutting the blinds and binging all weekend and, like, watching television. Mine um, is the opposite. When I am in the restricting side of the disease, that's sort of when my life shuts down and gets very, very small. Um, but so uh, I had I lost this weight and was, like, tooth and nail trying to maintain it, but inevitably the scale started to creep up a little bit. And my best solution to that was to start training for a marathon. Um, which made a lot of sense to my compulsively exercising brain. Um, so I started to do that, and sort of in quick succession over the next handful of months, um, the job that I had been working at since I moved to Los Angeles ended abruptly. My brother died from a heroin overdose, and then I got a running injury, so I couldn't run anymore. And, like, those three things collectively, like, brought me to a bottom that I could see that I I did not have a handle on this anymore. Um, even still then, my best thinking was the solution was to go to a nutritionist. <laughs> um, but like by the grace of you know my higher power, what what happened eventually was that I got to a nutritionist who has a holistic view on health and body and food, and she gave me a diet or like a nutrition plan that followed all of the restrictions that I had implemented for myself, which was extreme. And she was like, here, follow this. And if you find that you can't follow it for any reason, then it might be time to be looking for more help. She meant therapy. It might be a bigger issue. Um, I was not ready to look at that yet. Um, so I was like, great, I'll, I'll follow the food plan. That's what I do. I'm very good at following uh, a food plan. Uh, and I took the plan with me. And, you know, two days in, I was, like, binging on cookies at the office at work. Um, and that was the moment where I was like, I really can't keep doing this. Um, prior to that, I had – for sure, on multiple occasions, maybe maybe two or three times, like at night after a binge at home, like Googled OA. I just knew it existed. I don't know how that I knew it existed, but I was aware of it. And so I looked up meetings and was like, maybe tomorrow I'll go, and then never did. Um, but that night, as I was, you know, eating the cookies at work, I went back to my office. I searched meetings. Um, and that night before I went home, on my way home, I went to my first meeting. Um, it was in West L.A., it was um, a room full of people that were lovely, um but did not really look like me or sound like me or have anything that I really recognized much. Um They were all significantly older than me at the time. And um, the way they spoke about like their lives and what it looked like, it didn't, it wasn't very familiar to me. Um, but what I did here was go to six different meetings um, before you decide if this program is right for you. And that was the only thing I needed to hear at that meeting, um, because uh, the next morning I went to another meeting that was in West Hollywood. It was a Thursday morning, 7.30 a.m. meditation meeting. Um, very, it was very small, but what I heard, um, what I saw there when I walked in the room and what I heard was that there were women there specifically who looked more like me. They had a story. There was a lot of anorexia and bulimic focus at that meeting. And so I related. Um, and from that point on, uh, my program just sort of like very steadily increased um i took one thing at a time even before i knew that was the thing that we were supposed to do i kind of just like i could go to meetings so that's what i did and then the more meetings i went to i heard go to 30 and 30 so i was like i can do that that became a 90 and 90 i did 290 and 90s within my first year of program because it was a tool that i could easily pick up um they said do outreach so i did that i called three people a day um because probably someone said that in a meeting one time. And that also, the phone has not generally been a hard tool for me to pick up. I know that that can be very tough for some people. For me, that's relatively doable. Um, eventually, you know, I had to get a sponsor, so I got a sponsor. Um, I, you know, in as I was, like, waiting to find the right sponsor, I made a list of all the things I wanted in the sponsor that was very long and specific and ultimately looked like me except skinny. <laughs> um, if I could have found my per- perfect sponsor, that's what I was looking for. Um what I ended up what ended up happening is that uh I got to the point where I was really like, Okay, God, whoever you want me to have, I went to a meeting, some woman shared I'd never seen her before, she was the leader. Um, I didn't think anything of it. The next day I went to another meeting, she was the leader again, and then the third meeting I went to that week, she was also the leader at that meeting. And um, so I was like, Okay, God And she you know, she spoke about loving how much she sponsors. So um, she became my sponsor. We worked through the steps. Um, I was very, I think that I started the steps in 2011, but like towards the end of 2011. So I was like, great, 2012 is coming up. 12 steps in 12 months. I was very like, I had my own agenda about how I wanted to attack this. And I was just kind of like thinking about it as head down, uh, and power through. And so in that time, I was cobbling together like 30 days of abstinence and then losing it and then 60 days and then losing it. And as I was checking in with phone calls with my sponsor every night, I would be like, um, you know, I remember many, many, many days calling her and just saying, I'm not abstinent. I'm not abstinent. I'm not abstinent. Um, and at the time, it, it felt really demoralizing. It felt really frustrating. I have um, I have had and still do have sponsees that are, like, making those exact same calls to me. And I'm really grateful. No, no matter how far down the scale we've gone, we can see where our experience can benefit others. Because I can tell them with assurance that just because you're not abstinent today, just because it feels like you may not get abstinent, that doesn't mean it's not going to happen to you. Um, so I spent the first um, eight or nine months of my recovery working the steps very actively and very thoroughly and still not being able to, like, get my footing underneath me with the food. And um, by the time I finished writing my eighth step, uh, I turned that over to her. And um, I was at that point in what I recognized to be full relapse, uh, which was that I was eating you know, chocolate, whatever, at my office, and any semblance of feeling like I had free will or choice over my food was gone. It was, like, all compulsively um, driven, and um, it seemed to me that I was ready for a new sponsor. I had met someone in the room who I'd become friendly with who had a really strong spiritual connection with her higher power and um, with uh, something that was bigger than I could certainly understand it, but it was very appealing to me. And so I asked her to be my sponsor, even though I was, like, holding on to my first sponsor because I felt like if I switch sponsors now, I'm going to have to start the steps over, and I just want to, like, finish step 12. And um But I asked this new woman to be a sponsor, and she said no because she was full. And then I was like, okay, God, I guess I'll just stay where I am. And then uh my first sponsor, who I didn't want to let go of, moved out of the country, (laughs) like, very abruptly. She, like, sent me a message or a voicemail or something. She's like, I'm leaving the country in, like, two weeks, Um, so you need to find a new sponsor. And so the woman that I had already asked agreed to take me on, and she suggested that because I was in relapse or because I was not abstinent, uh, that I start my steps over. And then by that point, I was so uncomfortable already. I was in – I don't know that I was in the highest body weight I was in, but I was the most uncomfortable I had felt because at least I was present to how I felt. Um, and I wanted what she had so valid that I was willing to do whatever she wanted me to do. And so I, I started the steps over. I did step one, um and along with that, I, you know, wrote a food history. And as I turned that over to her, she – suggested an abstinence back to me um that is my abstinence to this day uh my abstinence is I have no recreational cane sugar because that is an alcoholic substance for me there are like two other foods that I don't eat um because they're alcoholic I don't eat nuts by themselves um and I don't eat cereal and then she suggested that I add no restricting to my abstinence um which to me I couldn't even understand what that meant. I don't know. I know how to take things out. I do not know how to not do that. I do not know how to exert control over my food in some way. And it was my first very, like, very clear experience of being struck abstinent and being um, in the space of, like, this is being done for me because I don't even know how to do this. So I agreed. I agreed to take it on and be willing to, like, try. And from that day forward, that was um, eight and a half years ago, give or take, a little more than eight and a half years at this point. Um, I have not restricted my food. And um, what that looks like for me, I had to sort of create a definition that I could understand. And um, what I landed on is that for me, restriction is choosing to not eat something for any reason other than that I don't want it. Um, So within my abstinence, of course, but that means if I want to eat a sandwich at lunch instead of a salad, that's what I eat. If I want to order the pizza instead of the soup, I order the pizza. Like whatever the thing is that my body wants, for whatever reason, as long as it's not driven by my, um, my alcoholic foods, that's what I have. Um, and it was the scariest thing that I've done in my recovery. And it is by far the thing that has given me the most freedom. Um, it has opened up my uh, my world and my ability to be present with other people while there's food also in the picture. Um, and it has allowed me to live life on life's terms for what that looks like for me. Um, and I had... The experience, so because of the yo-yo situation or the pendulum situation of my disease, you know, my weight has gone up and down um, over the years in a range of about maybe like 70 pounds, give or take. At a certain point when I go up, I stop weighing myself, because so I just would rather not <laughs> be faced with that number. Um but I had the gift of having I have a, a new I have a third sponsor now. So um, over the course of my recovery, I've had three different sponsors, and every single one of them has had the experience of when they came into program, they gained about 20 pounds, and then over the course of working steps, they lost that and then more. Um, for me, that also was my experience. So it was really helpful to have people um, leading me down the path where that was true for them. So as I got abstinent, and um, you know. Certain foods got a lot sexier because I hadn't been letting myself eat them for a long time. And, you know, I found myself eating whatever. In Los Angeles, you have a lot of options for sweet treats that are not cane sugar based. And so, like, I really have had a good time with that. And um, that works for me because that is that is what allows me to sort of, like, experiment and be like, oh, um the simplest way that I can explain it, which I was given to me, was that there are some days where eating the cookie is going to make me crazy, and there are some days where not eating the cookie is going to make me crazy. And so every day, I have to be really centered on um, what is my higher power saying to me right now, or where is the point at which I will find the serenity, because either version of that can take me out if I'm not present to it. Um, certainly, it's not perfect. I don't do it perfectly, but I'm um, fortunate that... I haven't. I have enough. Surrounded. I'm surrounded by enough fellows in my life that if ever I'm confused, I have someone that I can reach out to very easily to get guidance on that. Um, I think I'm closing in on my last few minutes here. Um, so uh, you I, have five minutes, Monica. Great. Thanks so much, Nikki. Um, so I, you know, continued working the steps. Um, I remember I, I sought some outside spiritual help as we are encouraged to do in these rooms. Um, when that comes up for us and. Uh, it was reflected back to me, you know, I was very consumed with my body size and being uncomfortable in my body and how that affected everything and that um I led a maintainer's meeting last weekend and I was like, after the meeting ended, I was like, oh, I didn't say this one thing, which I'm happy to have an opportunity to say here, which was that I was told that at some point once I was, my feet were firmly in recovery and I was on my path, like my body was going to be at a size that I felt comfortable in and it was going to be effortless. I don't know that that's everyone's story by a long shot. That is my story today. I, The compulsive exercising has been lifted for me. I don't, you know, I walk my dog or I go hiking with her. I do yoga once a week. I do not do anything when it's hurting my body. Um, I do not do anything when I'm too tired to do it. Um, I only do it because I enjoy it. And I have a, a like a soft rule that I stop as soon as it's, it stops being um, enjoyable for me. Um, the compulsive eating has been lifted for me. Um, on a, on a one-day-at-a-time basis, and for the most part, the obsession around food has been lifted for me. There are times when it can kind of come up and be distracting, but my life in no way revolves around it anymore, and um, all of that has been a result of me focusing exclusively on working the steps and being of service and then, um, you know, moving on to other programs that have come up along the way, and none of it has been a result of me trying to change my food or figure out the perfect exercise regime. Um and I learned, I heard very early on from my higher power um, that my recovery was going to have to come in two stages. The first stage was going to be that I had to learn how to feed myself in a way that gave me serenity, because I did not know how to do that. Um, and that was the first thing that was given to me. I couldn't have taught myself how to do that, but that was given to me from these rooms. And then the second stage was that I was going to have to find a way to be happy with whatever my body looked like when I was eating in a way that gave me serenity. Um and I don't – I'm happy to share that, like, those two things have happened. It is possible. I cannot account for how it is, but I know that I keep I've kept showing up, and that's why it has happened for me. Um, I have worked through the steps a couple times in this program that I've done them multiple times in other programs. Um, I'm happy to talk about any step in particular, more specifically when the questions come up, if anyone's curious. But um, they have transformed my life and my relationships. Um, one of the stories that's coming up for me to tell right now, so I'll, I guess I'll, I'll wrap up with some version of this, is that I moved out to Los Angeles to work in a specific field, a creative field. And because this disease had gotten so loud for me, it got to the point where I stopped being able to do the thing that I was trying to do. Um, I uh, All of my time and my space and my mental capacity and my energy was being used up with managing my food and, and exercising. And so... Um, I got to a point where it was like, I just can't do it anymore. And I was very early in my recovery, but I couldn't, um, I couldn't create. And, um, I heard the, a voice of my higher powers, what I'm certain that it was, which was like, if you just focus on working the steps, the rest of it's going to come. Um, and that has been my experience. I, um, really doubled down on working the steps and going to meetings. And my story has been that, um, as a result of being in the rooms, I have met so many people, one of whom specifically became a professional and creative mentor to me, who then ultimately hired me to work in a place that has now become a eight- or something-year-long career doing the thing that I want to do, in um, an even better and bigger way than I had imagined doing. Um that's something I can't account for. That can only be God. I followed my um, direction to take care of myself and to clean up my side of the street and to show up as a woman of grace and dignity and to be of service to those around me. And as a result, um, I've been able to live more gracefully in step three of, like, bring me what is meant to be mine. Please let me release what is not mine um, and align me with your will for me. So um, how do I want to wrap this up? I'm really grateful to be here. It's been a crazy for every single person, 18 months or whatever. I have not been back to in-person meetings. I love that they're starting. I can't wait till I am comfortable doing that again. Um, I'm so grateful for this fellowship always, but especially in, during the pandemic. I'm a single person who lives by herself um, with my dog. So without the connection and being able to see faces over the course of these past 18 months or so, it would have been really dark because the truth is that there were times where it was really dark, even with these things. Um, and for me, that actually looked like not, not being able to eat for a, a number of months on end. And I see that's probably my time seeing Nikki. So I'll wrap it up. Um, <laughs> that, uh, I didn't share much about that in the rooms because I, you know, I'm hearing a lot of shares about people that are gaining weight and whatever. And like the last thing in my head, anyone wants to hear about is how I can't, I can't eat. And it got scary. It got to the point where I was like, this is, I feel this in a very scary way. The disease is working right now. And God bless my sponsor who reflected back to me that, yeah, that's um not eating is also a way to not feel our feelings. And, um, the disease sort of like snuck up on me in that way. But as soon as that got called out and brought to light, as we've learned that these things do, um, once the light was shown on it, it got smaller, it got quieter. I was able to talk about it. And um, because of being able to be consistently connected with everyone here, I um, have been able to walk through that and many other things over the course of the past eight to 10 years that um, I would not have wanted to do alone. And I'm grateful that I never have to again. So thank you for letting me this down. Um, This is a time for questions only. There is no sharing at this meeting. If you need to share, please do so with any one of us after the meeting. Also, please remember that the opinions of the leader are my own and not those of Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. When asking questions, you need not identify yourself. If you asked a question last week, please wait until the first three questions have been asked before raising your hand. If you have a question, raise your hand and we will start with in person and then we will alternate with a Zoom question
0: after that. Do we have someone in person that's asking a question? Sorry, uh, yeah, sorry, okay. I said that again. Okay. Can you share a little bit about what your daily routine looks like and uh, specifically how you use your tools like interstitial meetings or calls or otherwise?
1: Yes, absolutely. Thank you for the question. Um, my daily routine has morphed over the years. Um, and I've kind of picked up things as they've been suggested and they have resonated with me um, or as I've been searching for something to mix things up, and I've let things go, um, especially because I can be someone who um, has a compulsive tendency and that once I start doing something, I feel like it's hard to stop doing it, like um, whether that's because I'm afraid it will – you know, it's doing something positive for me that I don't realize or it's superstitious, like I'm afraid to let it go. And so for a while, my routines got very long <laughs> I was and they um, got long enough that I was like, they were draining me rather than feeding me. And so my sponsor suggested that I sort of cut everything back. Um So right now what my routine looks like is in the morning when I wake up, I do an 11 minute meditation lying down in bed. Um, it's the easiest way to do it for me. And it's the way that I will most consistently do it Um Following that, I read um, usually a daily passage from one of the program pieces of literature. And then um, I will say a quick, I will do a quick prayer. Uh, let's see, in the morning, and then on on good days, and this is not every day, but on good days, I will do um, some writing. And my the most effective writing that I have found for me over the years consistently is writing a letter to God and then having God write the response back to me. Um, I used to do it where God would write with the, I would write with my dominant hand, which is my left hand, and then I would have my higher power respond with my right hand. Um, That worked really well. i have fallen out of the habit of switching hands, but the message still comes through. Um, You know, and whether that's, divine or whether that's my own just inner knowing um it doesn't really matter what does matter is that it's almost always a very gentle very loving very unconditionally supportive um, message that i'm getting in response that is not the voice that i tend to default to when i speak to myself although i'm getting better about it because of the years of doing this Um, and then, you know, throughout the course of the day, I have a couple things I'll pick up. I have a, a setting in my phone, an alarm in my phone twice a day that says to um, to think about what's going right, which is not specifically a program um, aphorism, but it's something that for me, is a, it's very helpful reorientation during the day. It's very easy to remember what's going wrong in any moment, but to sit back and look at all the innumerable things that are going right. Um has been a helpful reframe for me and I've been doing that for years. And then in the evening I, um, I will do a nightly 10 step and which I just write out, uh, in my notebook. And then if something consistently comes up, um, I will check in with my sponsor about it. But for the most part, it's just kind of good to get it out of my, my head. um, And then I will meditate for, you know, three to six minutes at night, not for a very long time. Um, I do uh, a few prayers, um, like, sort of lying down in a full, like, starfish surrender position that my sponsor has had me do, of just, like, really feeling myself being held up by the ground and, um, and sort of surrendering everything up to my higher power. And then for the past, since the past, like eight months or nine months um i have a fellow that i just we exchange nightly voice messages um just kind of like a three-minute check-in um before we each go to bed at night which has been really helpful especially during the pandemic time Um, so those are the things that are very consistently in my um bag of tricks and then i use the tool i use the meetings very frequently i go to maybe i don't know four four to five meetings a week depending throughout my different fellowships Um, zoom would definitely make that easy I most of my closest friends are also fellows at this point in my life, so I'm, you know, pretty much in constant contact with someone who's gonna remind me to turn it over or ask my higher power what they think. Um and um let me see, any of the other tools. Oh, and I sponsor. So um I, you know, I'm in touch with my sponsees. Most of my two of my sponsees I hear from every day in one regard or another. Um I also want to shout out the like kitchen sink and then also the light a candle, the podcast um meetings that were such a big part of my recovery when I first came in because I would just listen to them you know on a loop throughout the course of the day and um at one point someone in New York heard one of my podcast leads and reached out found a way to reach out to me through the like OA grapevine and so she's now one of my sponsors as well so I because of this meeting especially I have sponsors. I have one here I have one in New York, um, who's actually abroad now, and I have one in Portland. And, like, that has been made possible by the technology of um, all of this. So those, those are my um, most frequently used tools. I see Jeanette. Would you like to ask a question?
0: Yeah. Um, hi, I'm Jeanette. I'm a recovering compulsive overreader. Um, I'm from western New York, and um, I actually uh really – can relate to the one part about what you said about um, that you disconnected from your creative um, world. And I have a very strong creative background. And since this disease has hit me really, really hard um, I've disconnected from pretty much everything um, including that. Which was a huge, huge, huge part of my life, and i'm I'm glad you said that because it gives me hope that hopefully I'll be able to eventually get back into doing that again, but right now, my focus is um program to get healthier because my- de- health is declining rapidly, yeah. it's a very scary place, yeah, so thank you.
1: you oh thank you. Do you have a question or is just that?
0: Um, well, I just – what step were you on before you felt like your oh. your creative energies started coming back again? Thank you.
1: Um, okay. I watched in case anyone wasn't able to hear that.
0: Yeah, um, uh, Yeah, Monica, uh, we, we, we uh, just so everyone's aware, they ask uh, that you please send the questions in the chat and we'll read them because apparently they can't hear the online folks. So please repeat the question. But anyone else who has a question, please uh, send it to me in the chat. Thanks.
1: Great. Thank you. Um, so the, the question was, uh, what step was I on when I felt like my ability to engage with my creativity came back? Because that's an experience that is um, being shared. Um, I don't remember specifically, <clears throat> excuse me, what step it was that it started to came, come back because I think it was progressive. It, it, you know, I think it came back a little at a time. Um, I remember very vividly speaking with a fellow after a meeting one day, just being so frustrated because I couldn't do I write and I couldn't write. And, um, you know, even though I was doing so much writing in program, like constantly writing, writing, um, and she encouraged me to just sit down for five minutes a day with a timer. Um, and whether I actually did anything, <clears throat> or whether I just sat there and let it be a meditation and a prayer with my higher power, um, to at least commit to that <clears throat> five minutes. And um, I was willing to do that. <clears throat> and um, for a while, it didn't, it, it did look like me being really frustrated and annoyed sitting at my computer not doing anything. Um, and over time, and I don't know exactly how many, how, how long it was, but it, was, it felt like forever, and it was actually much shorter in retrospect than it felt like it was. Um, you know, the 10 minutes became 15, became something that I don't really have to think about anymore, and it was not a straight line of a journey, um, but it was every piece of it has definitely, like, contributed to me being able to show up more fully in the role that I'm in now because of having had that experience. All right. Is there an in-room question?
0: Yeah, go ahead. Um, thanks for your share. How is working the steps different for you when you were not absent and then when you were
1: hard? Thank you. That's a really good question. Um How is the working the steps different for me when I was not abstinent versus when I am now? Um, I think the first and foremost, like, the level of awareness and honesty that I have when I am abstinent has um, made working the steps more uncomfortable, but it's also made them more effective. Um, But that said, like – I I got exactly what I needed um from every round of working the steps that I had. So the first time I did it with my very first sponsor when I wasn't absent or where I was in and out of abstinence, um it wasn't it wasn't a superficial path at the steps, but it was relatively service level compared to where I've done what I've done now. And I remember even turning over the step work to her, especially with my fourth step, like we met and we sat in a park and then for like you know, four hours straight, I like head down, like, didn't look at her one time, like, reading it out of my notebook at like, like, laser speed, like, just fucking racing through it. Sorry. And, um, I, that was what I needed. Like, I I just had to just say the things, and I didn't have to emotionally connect with anyone when I said them, and they didn't have to know me personally. I didn't have to, like, be super vulnerable. Like, it was enough for me in my recovery to just have a space to write the things and then to say them um, at the level that they were, that I had access to them at the time. Um, and then over the years, as I've gotten abstinent and as I've worked with more sponsors, and sponsors that I've had, like, progressively more, um, like personal relationships with and so um I felt a lot more like deep love and affection from them but also I have felt more attached to what they think of me (laughs) so it's like kind of a double-edged sword but being able to sit in space with them and um have more clarity about like why things look the way they do or why my um why all of my amends ultimately go back to my one major character defect of a fear of scarcity. Um, it was only because I was able to be honest about all the things that I've done that I owed amends for and that to be really clear on what my very long list of character defects are, but then um, being able to share that with a sponsor who knew me well enough to reflect back, oh, yeah, but that's all because of this one key thing. Um, now I can kind of be present to that because I'm absent because I'm clear headed most of the time um, to like see where it's coming up in it's under re- five minutes left. Thank you so much. Um, so like I can see where these things, these things come up in real time now, as opposed to um, having to like clean them up after the fact for the most part. Um, yeah. I think that's the answer to that. Is there a question in the chat? I don't see anything. Does anyone want to submit a question to the chat?
0: No, there is a question in the chat from Tanya. So I imagine you had resentments toward your parents in childhood, did you? And how did you make amends, step nine to them?
1: Thank you. Great question. Um yes, yeah, absolutely. There were resentments from my childhood, um, and from my adulthood, frankly, <laughs> for both of my parents. Um my um I grew up with my mom being my primary parent. My dad moved out of state once they separated, and um most of my amends uh To my parents were on my mom's side of things. And for the most part, I kept it um, very um, concrete. Like, I did apologize for times when um, I really maybe crossed a line in saying something. There weren't many occasions of that because my sponsor really was um, clear on we don't make amends for being human. Um, you know, we, you know, and a lot of those things are like, I had a bad attitude when I was a teenager. Like, that is not something that my sponsor felt was necessary for me to make amends for every time that came up. Um, there were instances of... I caused damage to the car or, um, you know, financial restitutions that I could make. Um, and so I took, um, the opportunity when I was at that point in my recovery <clears throat> to come up with a, a number <clears throat> of dollars that, um, felt like an appropriate God-sized amount to give my mom along with uh, an honest apology for the things that I did, um, feel like I owed a, you know, a direct, uh, conversational amends for. And I absolutely did not want to do it. I don't have a close relationship with my mom, um, but I was willing to do it. And that is the key. (laughs) Um, And, you know, I this was many years ago, but I made the amends. I gave her the the envelope of money. And at the time, I was not making a a very big salary at all. And so it was a stretch for me. Um, And also, like, Incidentally, as I was, like, gearing up to, like, make this amend and, like, get the money together to do it, um, I had a fellow in her program or in her recovery, one of her amends was passing money, like, she had to pass money along to someone sort of, like – not anonymously, but just, like, to gift money to people that uh were in a different position than her, and she had chosen, sort of, like, out of nowhere to be, like, here, take this money, this envelope full of money, like, as my amend, and so I was able to pass that along as part of the amends to my mom, so my higher power showed up in um that way, Uh and the amends went fine. She was, like, very appreciative of it, and then I, like, left the house immediately <laughs> and didn't talk, you know, didn't, like, revisit it ever again, Um with my dad, we determined that I did not owe any direct amends to him, and so I have not made any amends with him formally. But in the intervening years since I've made those amends, I have also gotten to a program, gotten into a program um, about family of origin, uh, addiction, and issues, and so I have done a whole entire another uh, fourth step and ninth step around the resentments I got about my parents specifically, and it is been transformative. I won't get into specifics because it's not this program, but if anyone does want to connect offline about that, I'm happy to share more about my experience there. Um, We have time for, I'm guessing
0: maybe one more question, if there's a question in the room. Not in the room, but I know there's another one online. Great. And there is. Uh, Mark had a question. What is your daily spiritual practice and can you talk about your higher power?
1: Sure. Yeah, I I, um, mentioned earlier my daily spiritual practice is that, you know, I have a morning meditation and prayer and um, some writing um, in the evening. I have another version of the same thing. I'm sure you can um, listen to the longer version on the recording whenever it's released. But my definition of my higher power, um, the best definition I ever heard in these rooms was from a fellow um, dear friend who said, God is I don't understand God. Uh, and to me, that is the most appropriate definition. I can't possibly fathom, um, what a higher power is that could, you know, even any version that I could imagine is far too small than what it has to be. Um, I did do a sort of traditional second step exercise of writing out a want ad for my higher power that included, um, many wonderful qualities, um, like being loving and ever present and super communicative and a sense of humor and, um. Magical. Like, I, I need um, sparks of, like, surprise and serendipity that is really important to me. And I have found those things have come up. Uh, thank you so much, Nikki. Uh, the more that I uh, ask for them, the more that I get them. Um, and let's see. I have found that um, in working the steps in this program, uh, my spirituality has has brushed against the bounds of what 12-step has to offer. So I have expanded my spiritual life into other practices and into other venues that have um, made it a bigger part of my life as a whole, um, that it's hard to even separate myself at this point from my higher power, which I think ultimately is the goal anyway. So um, every, every day that I get a step closer to that, feels like I'm moving in the right direction.
0: Thank you for the questions. Now is the time for secretary's announcements.